0: CB On Air, cutting edge conversations with those in the central banking community. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of CB On Air's Womenomics series. I'm Rachel King, Reviews Editor for Central Banking. In our first episode, we discussed some of the major issues surrounding gender imbalance within central banks, and one of the key takeaways was that it's not just about people, it's about the process. So here to talk to me today about what central banks are doing to change some of their internal processes is Senior Deputy Governor of the Bank of Canada, Carolyn Wilkins. Thank you for being here today.
1: Well, thank you very much for inviting me to the podcast.
0: You're very welcome. Um, So I thought we would start off with a little bit about the Bank of Canada's own approach to diversity. Um, And you guys have a pretty good balance, you've got quite a few women in senior positions. Um, And I know that the bank has made a conscious effort to kind of level the playing field for women. Um, and I was wondering whether you could talk to us about a little bit what you've been doing with your HR function, because I know you've been making some changes there.
1: Sure. I mean, at the Bank of Canada, the the idea of diversity extends to gender, but it extends past that to educational background, cultural background and and different life experiences. And it's really a core part of our values. and when we looked at the numbers for the bank, we found that you know the share of women and men was actually not that bad. But if you looked at the economic and financial sector specialists, in fact, uh, we weren't doing as well. And and uh, you know part of that is of course because the pipeline isn't there, and and that would be the same across many central banks. But at the same time, we thought, well, is there anything that we can do on our own processes that That would help that. So for the women to encourage more women to apply and also increase their chances of a successful hire. And you know our efforts have have uh, spanned from how we reach out to universities and recruit to thinking about the teams that are recruiting to make sure that they include a diverse set of people, women, and also making sure that all our managers take unconscious bias training because know well, I'm very confident in the bank that that people want to do the right thing and, and they don't consciously have biases but I think we all do so since you've
0: implemented some of those changes have you seen any results in your kind of pipeline of people coming into the bank
1: oh we absolutely have I mean what we have seen is that that um, of the women that apply uh, more of them tend to get hired than they did in the past and in fact the rate is is almost doubled and so uh, you know every year is, is going to be different from the next uh, but if you think that about a third of the the, women, the people applying are women, uh, we will have that rate or higher of the people that actually end up, end up getting hired and so from that point of view it, it's a success. Uh, we also, it's not all about just getting them in the door, it's also ensuring that when they arrive uh, whether they're women, people with disabilities, First Nations, uh, people from different countries, that they feel welcome at the table. And that's, another, and that's another step in our process.
0: Okay, so what have you done in that regard to make them feel welcome, as you said, at the table?
1: Again, I think it's about the tone from the top as well as the tone from the managers. And, and uh, I'm going to smile here because on the economics side, we're trained economists, uh, PhD economists, economists with MAs, and, and our focus is on our technical expertise. But when we become a manager, uh, more social capital is actually needed than, than some may actually have already. And so what we do is we train managers in terms of uh, using the tools that they can to help people uh, feel welcome, but also uh, develop their careers in a way that's, uh, that's deliberate and not just sort of uh, haphazard so that they can uh, get the training they need and also the developmental experience that they need to, to move up. Okay, if we turn back
0: slightly, back to recruitment, I wanted to just talk to you about language. So there was an interesting study done by the San Francisco-based tech firm, and they use artificial intelligence to analyse language used in job adverts and cross-reference it with who applies. And they found that slight changes in language um, affected the number of women who applied for the post. So simple changes such as changing the word from manage to develop found that more women applied. Um, And I was just wondering whether the bank itself has had any experience with this and what your thoughts are on how we approach language when looking to recruit people.
1: That sounds like a very interesting study that I haven't seen Rachel and and, uh, I hope you send it to me so I can point it out to our HR folks. I'm not surprised that language matters in terms of attracting anyone, and it's interesting that there are differences across gender lines. Uh, one of the things that, that I also think is important, we all know the statistics, there aren't that many women that go into mm-hmm. economics, and so uh, when you're at the, the bachelor level, it's it's nearly 50-50 in Canada. It drops down to about 35% at the master's level and then goes a little bit below 30 at the uh, At the PhD level in economics and and what's interesting to me is that some of the reasons are due to the fact that these women do not see what um, economics really has to do about people and uh, and how economics can make a difference and of course anybody who's had a whole profession in economics knows that that is exactly the opposite and I think part of the reason is because of the language we use we call people Uh, agents and we we call uh, what they care about their utility function and uh, and so I think uh, there's some um, things to mine in terms of choice of language to get people excited about jobs and about professions that uh, that uh, could produce some good results. It's interesting that you say
0: that because I know that a lot of notable female economists tend to focus in on kind of employment labor market social issues so it's the more kind of people-based economics so maybe it's time that we change the economics lexicon almost and we get rid of agents and we start referring to people as humans
1: it's interesting because of the PhDs that there are uh, in economics that are women uh, we do find that a lot of them specialize in areas other than those like macroeconomics and finance that are pertinent for central banks and that may be that may be part of it uh, I think it's a there's a virtuous circle that you can you can get if you have more women that get into that uh, that field then uh, slowly and surely you change the the perception of uh, of what it entails and in fact it's it's I think it's a little bit more than language it's when you look up uh, to people you think well can I see myself there it's sort of the see one will be one and uh, and so the more women that we have uh, in the profession the more likely we're going to get that virtuous circle uh, started. And in fact, I think it has started. So flipping the coin the other side,
0: if we look at kind of how recruitment is done, um, there's obviously a very human element. You have people on boards, and in your case, you have different boards with different people on. Do you think that given the rise of this kind of AI technology in every aspect of our life could remove that bias completely if we just had a machine in charge of recruitment, would that completely get rid of unconscious bias or would we still need kind of someone at the end of the chain saying no, yes, no, yes to each
1: candidate? That's almost a philosophical question and I have to say that I don't believe any AI uh, program could actually uh, remove unconscious bias because if nothing else there's the bias of the programmer. And so, and so, absolutely yes. You would need somebody at the end of the at the end of the chain, and a whole governance project uh, process, in fact, to to guide it. Uh, but could AI help uh, increase the uh, increase the data that we collect in a way that's as neutral as possible? Uh, yeah, I think it could, and I think it's a, it's something that all HR departments are, are exploring, uh, not only to uh, you know uncover bias, but also or to get rid of bias, but also to, to uh, increase efficiency in terms of being able to scan just a larger number of, of CVs. So it's, it's something that, um, that you know, we hope to look into.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier on that there seems to be this almost drop-off at universities where you've got 30% at PhD level, I think it was you said, um, now some central banks are now going out to universities and into schools earlier on to kind of beat out the commercial banks and get in the minds of graduates before the private sector has dug their claws in. Um, is the Bank of Canada doing something with, in that regard to kind of increase its recruitment of young female economists?
1: We're doing a couple of things. Of course, it's a competitive market and public sector institutions aren't known for their their pay. And so uh, we... Uh, we uh, try to compete on having a, an excellent work environment, uh, relatively competitive salaries from, a, from a, a comparator group. And at the same time, we spend a lot of time uh, meeting students, uh, having our own uh, young employees go out to meet students so that they can see who their colleagues might be. Another thing that we're trying to do, and in fact I'm championing personally, is going out to uh, universities and doing just lectures, having our female economists. I, I did five last year, five different universities. We went into the undergrad classes where there are a lot of women and talked about some economic issue. I talked about digitalization uh, and what the Bank of Canada is doing about it so that they could see and how it matters to people and how it matters to public policy, so they could see a female economist in action and also see how, uh, how the issues that we tackle actually do deal with people and how important they are to, uh, to our economic future.
0: So Mary Daly, who was our previous speaker from the San Fran Fed, said the same thing, and she's actively going out to classes and showing young female graduates that you can... Do it, and she and you are both role models to these women. Um, but I want to kind of touch on what what the risk is for central banks if they don't get out there and if they don't kind of level the playing field and get this diverse uh, mix of people. Because ultimately, you need a central bank that represents the people in order to correctly implement policy. And will we get to a point where this has not changed and policy is almost going against what public opinion wants or what public opinion needs?
1: Mary is just a fabulous economist. I'm glad you mentioned her. She's, she's a real tribute to the profession. Uh, I think the risk of not having a diverse uh, workforce at central banks uh, is something that could undermine trust. And in fact, that's partly why uh, central banks are working so hard. If you think about what economics and public policy making actually is, it's about looking at what's the opportunity cost and what are the trade-offs involved in the different paths that you could take. And the more diverse experience that you have at the table, both uh, intellectual experience, cultural experience, gender, uh, sexual orientation, whatever dimension you can think of, it's more likely that you're going to understand more of the trade-offs than you would just having a single uh, set of people who are kind of mired in groupthink. And we all know just how important it is today to have institutions, public institutions, that look like the population. People look at that institution and they say, well, who's there who thinks kind of like me? And so I think from an accountability point of view, from a good public policy point of view and a trust point of view, it's just essential. I know that that uh, central banks around the world, including the Bank of Canada, are focused on that, and I think we're making really good strides.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong, but you joined the bank in 2001. So in that time, you've seen the makeup of the bank change. And I was just wondering, in your opinion, what the results of that have been?
1: Over that time, I haven't got the data in front of me, but over that time, certainly we've grown in a number of dimensions, uh, and uh, dimensions that include uh, more diverse people at the table. And and uh, whether that's gender, whether that's uh, cultural differences, we do have a lot of uh, PhD economists that come from other parts of the world as temporary foreign workers and then they become Canadians, a lot of them, and so it's, it's just fabulous. And what I've noticed is, is um, a more diversity and a richness of discussion that, um, that is actually quite necessary and it's, it's hard to tell. We, economists talk about identification uh, issues where you can't really tell whether the change is because of increase in diversity or just because of necessity. We had the financial crisis. Um, We've had rise of of new technologies, uh, FinTech, uh, the AI, machine learning, uh, public policy issues that can't uh, be answered uh, by one point of view alone, and that's by necessity. And so the culture of the bank has changed a lot over that period uh, to focus on cross-functional groups so IT people, lawyers, economists, all in the same room discussing crypto assets, just as an example. Uh, we've got a uh, very rich debate around the table where people um, you know, will, will challenge each other's ideas. And, and I'd like to hope that that's one of the reasons that we've had the success we've had in implementing our monetary policy and the other policies that the responsibilities of the Bank of Canada has.
0: You mentioned earlier on that you go out to the community and you have did five lectures last year in universities. Um, I'm sure you'll probably do an equal amount, if not more, this year. And you've become a role model, I assume, to these young economists. Um, who's been your role model since you've been at the bank?
1: Well, I've, ha- I've had a number of, of people who have been kind enough to mentor me. Uh, when I joined the bank, I had a deputy governor mentor me and, and um, over the last... Five years uh, before I got this job, I had Tiff Macklem, who was the previous senior deputy governor, who was my mentor. Uh, and uh, and uh, when I look at my role models, they've both been men and women, and they've had very similar qualities. They've been people who, who are experts in their field, they work really hard, they take risks, and they care about the people around them, and they care about building an institution.
0: Do you think it's important for female economists to not only look at senior women as role models, but men as well? Because there's this big focus on making senior women visible to the community and out there. But there should also be an avenue for men to mentor women and make them also feel that they can achieve the senior levels and do great things at the central bank.
1: It's interesting because when you look at the statistics about why women may not uh, be as successful at higher levels as men in terms of moving up, and there are many reasons, and one of them is about having sponsors and mentors. Uh, Men are more likely to have a sponsor and a mentor, and and I think that uh, for women it's just essential. That's why we have a mentorship program at the Bank of Canada that I participate in. And, and yes, it's, it's important that you have uh, sponsors and mentors and role models who, whether they're female or they're male, have attributes that you admire that you want to model. And so when I look at Janet Yellen, I look at Christina Lagarde I just think there are just so many positive things about what they've contributed to public policy, in Janet Yellen's case, to, to economics. It's hard not to um, find something that you want to do like them.
0: Um, so we're kind of coming to the the end of our podcast now, but uh, I just wanted to touch on slightly your kind of milestones that you've progressed so that female economists can kind of have, an, not that they should follow in your footsteps completely, but whether there are certain avenues that they should be looking to go down and then just some advice that you'd give to them.
1: One of the things that, that I never really thought when I started in economics um was that I was going to be a female economist. I always thought I was going to be an economist. It never occurred to me to think of myself in any other way. And and it also never occurred to me that when I finished grad school that I had learned everything that I needed to know. And in fact, um, over my career, I've done, uh, gone from forecasting to over-the-counter derivatives to, to many other uh, areas where I really had to open a book. Uh, and, uh, and uh, talk to people and learn something new. And so my advice to, to young people is, uh, whatever you're studying, just develop a love to learn because that's gonna serve you well. Take some risks. Uh, people worry about what will happen if, if you fail and what will happen is you will get up, dust yourself off, learn a lesson and move on. And my mentors have all, have all told me that. Um, You need a support network, uh, people who can help you work through problems, and people who can give you the confidence to stick your hand up and say, okay, it's my turn uh, to move up. I think I'd like to do this. I'd like to take on this responsibility and develop a new area.
0: I know that at the start of this podcast we said that it's not just about people it's about the process but I do also think that building that confidence and giving women that kind of leg to stand on and say no you are good enough you you should be okay to fail and as you say stand up and get dusted off is a crucial part of the problem so hopefully your words of wisdom will give them that impetus and drive to reach for those high positions within central banks. So um, so, that is all we have time for today, unfortunately. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. You have provided our listeners with some very wonderful words of wisdom. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, to our listeners, please do check back with us. Uh, we've got some new insights coming on mentoring, gender targets, and linking back to what we just spoke about psychology behind diversity.